Um, how do I how do I introduce you? What's your? Are you just an unemployed e- guy? <laughs> Ex housemate. Uh, yeah, I'm life on the road. Uh, no, I don't. I don't know. Um, between jobs, between jobs, looking. Okay, well, I've got unemployed friend of mine slash former housemate of mine, Julian Cole, on the podcast today. This is totally obsessed with Dan Deboe. Talking to interesting people about that interesting thing that interests them. Welcome back to Totally Obsessed. This is my podcast where I talk to interesting people about the obsessions they have. It might be something they've just become obsessed with lately and can't get enough of, or something they've been obsessed with their whole life. This week, it's someone who does get obsessed with things uh, quite regularly and quite deeply, but it is the first obsession that started it all for him. He's an old friend of mine, so I'm using the podcast as an excuse for a bit of a catch-up because he's been travelling the world and he was in Melbourne this week, so I thought, pop in, let's catch up on old times and I might as well do some work as well. Julian Cole. He's an ad strategy guy. He's worked in New York and Sydney. He has a fortnightly email called Planning Dirty, uh, which you should subscribe to if you're interested in the ad world. And he tweets and Instagrams at, at Julian Cole. Lately, his Instagram has been deeply interesting because he's on a six-month sabbatical from work, traveling the world with his partner and doing Instagram stories of all the wonderful places and facts that he uncovers as he travels. Um... I know him because we used to live together in Sydney, gosh, almost a decade ago. Wow. Um, He's always had a bee in his bonnet or a latest obsession. And this, as I said, is his very first ever obsession from when he was just a kid. Collecting antique bottles. This might sound strange, but JC has a lot of stories about his years collecting antique bottles from a little kid who snuck away from his parents' house in the dead of the night to attend a bottle collecting meeting to becoming the president of the Bottle Society to now going to museums and not just seeing, you know, the bottle wings and inspecting all the bottles there and getting really excited, but right at the end of the podcast, he tells a story about what he discovered in Melbourne Museum and it, it's, it's a mind-blowing kind of thing, especially if you're a guy who digs history and is as easily obsessed as Jules. So, here he is now, Julian Cole. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends. And thank you so much to everyone who has been listening and reviewing and giving me five stars and telling me the podcast is a lovely half hour of joy in their otherwise sad and meaningless lives. Thank you and enjoy. This is Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBoof. You um, have been traveling the world on your sabbatical from the advertising world, just, and I've been following you on your Instagram stories, and it seems like every, not even week, like every day, you've got a new thing that you're like deeply obsessed with. And then when I saw you in Melbourne, I was like, great, come in and talk to me about it for half an hour, and that's my podcast for the week. I'm glad I can talk about it too, because I feel like. 
I've got an ADHD problem of hobbies. Like I go really deep. Um, and the one we'll be speaking about today is very close to my heart. And I think the catalyst to all of these other ones too. What, what were some of the ones that you thought you could perhaps talk about and that you won't be talking about this time because you've settled on one? Um, mineral water was really high up there. So I got really obsessed with mineral water while we were traveling <laughs> through Eastern Europe. And you can actually like taste the different minerals. So, and you measure on the back, there's like magnesium, sodium, and you've got to look for the right levels. So I went crazy um, for like two months. I feel the need to say now, because I made um, soda stream like water yeah. when you got here, I was like, oh, do you want some water? How cool am I? I've got a soda stream. Is it, can you taste what was in that? No, this, well, this would be what's in your water source. So, the soda's not doing anything. So, the minerals aren't as good. Like, you want real strong tasting minerals. So, I don't, like, the the Melbourne water's pretty neutral. And, like, we don't have good mineral waters here because it's all about the rock and the geology of where it comes out Mm -hmm. of. Um, So, the the taste isn't that good. But I didn't know this before I started, like, getting deeply obsessed with (laughs) mineral waters either. I just liked soda water no matter what. But there's real, like, (laughs) hardcore... Like we have with wine or with coffee, like... Yeah, there's water um, connoisseur. What, what is it? Yeah, What's, connoisseur. Uh, water sommelier. Oh. So, there's these, there's a couple of water sommeliers and there was going to be... There's an academy and I was going to do it. But I think <laughs> it's like really expensive. So, I kind of kiboshed that. Okay. And went and did my own tour. And now I just like write to this water sommelier and tweet him questions <laughs> I've got. So, <laughs> he's helping out. What are, what are some other things that you sort of pitched up? Other things? I've really got into... A Australian fauna. Um, so, looking at the wildflowers, they've been great. Flora. Flora, sorry. Yeah. Flora, yep. The animals have been good too. <laughs> uh, um, what else? Uh, architecture has been big. Flags, really liked symb- um, symbols and flags, the meanings behind flags. All right. I mean, everyone listening now is going, well, I mean, if this is the appetizer, what's the main meal? It's uh, antique bottle collecting. <laughs> Yeah, so it all started there. Um, yeah, I was uh, I I was used to be trying to make money as a young kid. I did cash for cans for a long time, and oh, you obviously yeah, go same round on bottle day and like collect cans. Did and you have so, a wall mounted can crusher? No. Did you just crush them with your feet? With our feet. See, one. I reckon this might have been a Christmas or something like that. My parents actually got me a wall-mounted can crusher. Wow. That you'd like put the can in and pull it and then it would sort of fall out. Amazing. And I don't know yeah. if it actually sped up the process at all. Because it's kind of fun to line them all up and then stomp them all one yeah, by one. Yeah. Yeah. We used to just throw them all in the backyard. Um, but yeah, so one day me and my best mate, Ango, um, we were going... Uh, it was cans day and bottle day recycling day and we saw all these old bottles in one of the bins and we're like we're interested in antiques and old things kind of 13 year olds um as most 13 year olds are a bit bit weird to begin with. <laughs> we we also were dumpster diving a lot in that time and so before it was cool before it was cool and wasn't for food it was usually for things for our rooms and antiques and i don't know other stuff so we found these old bottles so we're like let's get them they might be worth something so we took them the next day to the antique store and 
um, they're like, yeah, these are old milk bottles. Um, we'll buy them off you for $20 a bottle, which is like $1,000 to you. When you're My eyes just old. widened yeah. when you said that. It was always the dream. I mean, I say it's always the dream. I'm going to sound so lame now. But when you're a kid, to, did you read recently about the girl who discovered a sword, an ancient Viking sword in a lake? No. Yeah, there was this girl who literally found an ancient sword in a lake as if she is some sort of mythical, like the one who was foretold kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I read that article and I was like, man, that was always the dream as a kid to discover something. Treasure. For me, it would always be a dinosaur. Imagine yeah. discovering like dinosaur bones in your backyard. Yeah, want a real big one. And um, you did it. I did it on, ca- on, on recycling day. So... We sold those bottles. Where'd you find them? Um, they were in the black... They were just in a black box. You know the recycling boxes that you put out every Wednesday night? Yeah. So, they were just there. And um, so, we, we sold half of them. And then I started... I used to go to Camboyle Market all the time, which is the local flea market on Sunday. And I started seeing other bottles and I thought, oh, maybe I can like start flipping these and, <laughs> you know, making a bit of money. So, I bought a couple... Then took them back to that antique store. They're like, nah, not worth anything. I'm like, fuck, I've got all these bottles now. It's um, it's nice that the kindly antique dealer didn't say like, yeah, here's 50 cents per bottle. Yeah, no, it was, he's, he was in the, the commerce game and yeah. uh, I was just a c- collector. So, I looked in the... Um, I was kind of getting interested in learning about bottles too. So, I looked in the yellow pages um, back then or the white pages. I forget which one. And I... I found an antique bottle club and I was like, I got to go to this. I got to like find out more, see what, like where the, where the dollars are for these bottles and what. (laughs) So it was a business, it was a business interest. It was a bit of a business interest to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. And and there was a bit of collecting interest in knowing more. But if you found a really good one, you'd be more inclined to sell it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, And so. I, it was it was the first Wednesday of every month, and that was coming up. And I came home from work uh, from school, thirteen years old, and I said to Mum, "Hey, the Williamstown Bottle Club, um, there's a bottle club on tonight. Can you drive me?" And she's like, "We we live in Malvern, which is the other side of the bay, so it's like an hour away." Um, and she's like, "No, I'm making dinner. <laughs> there's no way I'm driving you to Williamstown." And I said, "Fine." And then I went, I, I was in my little private school uniform. <laughs> I smashed the door, front door, and I got on the train for an hour and went into Williamstown. Wow, and what an act of rebellion. It was a real act of rebellion there. And I don't think mum knew where I was gone. Like, she didn't think I'd really gone. And um, I got to Williamstown. So, I get to the Bottle Club, which is in one of these old RSL RSL like halls mm. and there is about two people under the age of 65 um in the hall they're all it's kind of like the pin drops as i walk in they're like are you lost are you confused <laughs> they haven't seen anyone under the age of 40 who's yeah. interested in bottles even if you said like i'm here for the bottles they would have been like no, no you're like not. lucky guess all yeah, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> gotta see it um but they were the most welcoming people ever so they they're like oh you're here for bottles come in um, and it was great. It's about an hour. They have a little show and tell. Everyone shows bottles, exhibits your bottles. You've got a theme for the week. So, it might be eucalyptus oil bottles or salad bottles. Um, and they had these amazing rock cakes, which are like like powdery cakes with like 
jam in the middle and it was great and i get to the end of the night and it's about 10 30 and they're like how did you get here and i'm like <laughs> i caught the train here and they're like you can't catch the train back and one of the guys is like i'll drive you like just and he was one of the younger guys who's about 40 and i'm like oh that would be awesome yeah oh, definitely so he's like, all right, come with me, get in my ute. Oh my God. A young, young boy and- uh, Stranger danger. Well, that's the exact thing. I was it, some suspect character. Yeah. Um, he takes me and he's like, you don't mind if we go on a dig on the way home? A dig? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'd love that. I bought my little toothbrush just <laughs> in case. <laughs> and uh, it was, I got the um, best welcoming club night ever because- after that, we drove to Port Melbourne and they had found a, uh, a yard. Him and his mate had found a yard that was getting renovated. And so, they were the people who were living there. It was still a house, but it was getting renovated. And we went out the back at like 10.30 at night and he got his probe out and started digging for bottles um, in there. And they showed me how to dig and they were working the probe and stuff. Um, and I was hooked. I was like, this is awesome. I is get it- home and mum's freaking furious. She didn't <laughs> think I'd gone. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, I was hooked after that. And then after that, I joined the Williamstown Bottle Club and was a member for until I moved to Sydney and moved in with you for uh, <laughs> 10 years. When you were digging around. Yep. Is it similar to like those people who go up and down the beach with metal detectors? Are they your sworn enemies? No, they're not sworn enemies, but it's a very similar thing. So what you've got is a probe, which is a metal metal pole, and there's a ball bearing on the bottom of it. It's about a meter and a half long. Okay. And what you do is you put it into the ground, and you'll hear the tink of glass or of, like, porcelain as you kind of hit it. And so you'll know that that's where the site was. And so what people used to do um, pre-dumps... Um, was they would bury it in their backyard. So, in a lot of the old towns, there's, um, they've got them. And Melbourne actually had a really bad sanitation problem. And so, it's good for us because there's lots of bottles around. Um, <laughs> the silver lining. Yeah. But uh, so, that's how you dig. And then you've got to dig down. Have you been following what's happening in Melbourne at the moment with the tunnel? They're building a tunnel through the city, the metro no. tunnel. And they've been just unearthing random stuff. Really? Yeah. So right. it's interesting you say that because I, I, if I were you, I'd go Google because yeah. they've just been, and I think they're displaying them somewhere. Wow. So you might yeah. be able to track it down. There's these, um, when I was part of the club, there's these famous digs that have happened in history. So the one of the other famous digs was when <laughs> they dredged Albert Park Lake. Oh. So that was like the golden years of bottle collecting. <laughs> Everyone when was, was that? down. When was that? It was, I think it would have been probably like uh, late 90s. Oh, cool. And so, the, all these old mates who you were meeting up, that would have been like, not fresh in their memory, but that just was, long enough for them to be like, yeah. remember? Yeah. That was their prime years. And they talked about how everyone was down there digging and they would just turn up bottles. They wouldn't even have to dig. They would just be pulling them out and really fine bottles. There's like a, um, a black stallion, which is a beer bottle that's beautiful, like a beautiful black color. And they were pulling like 40 of them out. And that's like one of the prime bottles. If you had a black stallion, you're like, 
to that's what you want in your collection you want to build your collection around a black stallion talk to me more about the kind of bottles that you're lusting after as a collector so as collector you've got to decide um you usually take a lane in terms of what type of bottle you want to collect and so i um took milk bottles because that was my first first love and then the second one i took was eucalyptus oils um and so with milk bottles uh, every suburb would have its own dairy. So you get oh. underneath the different suburbs. So you collect almost suburbs and different um, peoples with eucalyptus oils. So they usually went for about 15 years ago, right? 10 years ago. They'd go for about 25 to $30 for different ones. Um, the other one was eucalyptus oils. And the reason I collected them was because they were $2. They're a dime a dozen. Okay. But you still get that beautiful, like, suburb name and the local manufacturers. All the fun of milk bottles, but at an affordable price. Affordable price, yes. And they were at Campbell Market. So, I was like, beauty. Did you get to know the vendors? Um Yes, some of them I do, and some of them were in the bottle club too. So oh, I'd be like, okay. "Get a handshake." G'day, Roy. Yeah, there was a Roy in the club. Wow. <laughs> there was, and the the guy at, at Campbell Market there was, was a, Roy. a Roger. So you were really wow. close. You were right on the money. But um, yeah. So they were my two lanes that I kind of picked. But other people, you know, the beer bottles were really like that's the primo one that people would want. And there's two classifications of bottle collectors. You've got your diggers who go out and dig and they haul it all up and then you've got your collectors who kind of like pull them and they're more the you know they don't want to get they don't get their hands dirty as much and I was more a, a collector because I, I was going to more swap meets and I wasn't as proficient with my digging back then how often would you go to bottle club once a month so I went once a month for uh, I think it's like 10 years and it's funny I I became the youngest ever president of uh, the Williamstown Bottle Club. Uh, when I was 17 years old, I got elected as the president of the club. Wow. Because so that- they, obviously they're going, like, we can ignite a whole new generation here. Yep. I was the young blood to bring it in. And I got I got an article right up in the local leader, like the Williamstown yeah. leader. And I was very, very proud of that. Um and I think that helped me with like public speaking and stuff um, since then. And it was interesting. So, D- dad used to drive me um, to Bottle Club. And at the start, he would just drive me and then hang out in Williamstown for an hour and just kind of pot around. And then one day he's like, I'll just come in and have a look. And he got out that night and he said, that was one of the best things I've ever done. These people are completely crazy and it's hilarious (laughs) and they're the nicest people but this is the most bizarre thing i've ever been so it's not like in that moment he found his people he was more like well that was good value yeah that was good value and i think we're all a bit you know you have to be a bit quirky my dad's a bit quirky too so we we naturally fitted in um but he then ended up becoming the um secretary of the club so i was president he was secretary um in that because he loved it so much and he didn't know anything about bottles but he just was committed to um the bottle club and you were doing it you were both members of the sort of committee together yeah yep so we both got on together and then the treasurer graham had been there for way longer of course there was a graham um he he just really loved numbers and uh his his focus was on that and he he had really good like um 
he had really a good collection um, and he he was just I just want to be about the numbers an introvert but just loved numbers so how, how do you mean love numbers um, he just would tally up all the budget so you had to talk about oh, the budget yeah. every meeting and he would tell you how much tea and coffee was and it's like three dollars sixty five and literally reading out the ledger every meeting. Um, so these passion. are these are the kind of I'm getting in my head a vicar of Dibley type vibe, just all the sort of slightly older people of the village all sort of gathering together to be really serious about something that's ultimately quite trivial. Yeah, well, yeah, it is, but they we never found it trivial because we always were yeah. so passionate about it. Um, that, you're it, right. They there was that. Were there any like superstar bottles? Like, um, I know how you said, like, a black stallion or whatever is, yeah. is a sort of... But were there holy grails or... The black stallion's pretty big. Um, if something uh, if something came... Like, if a travelling bottle show came to yeah. town and they had, like, this is our star bottle, like... It would usually be a collection and a rare bottle that's hard to find. So, you'd be looking for the manufacturer of the bottle and, and potentially an earlier model. So, you can tell... Like, if you look at a bottle, you'll be able to tell the age and who the manufacturer was and the year that it was um, kind of round. There's certain bottles that are kind of valuable torpedoes were bottles that are kind of like, they would be tor, they look like a torpedo. Yeah. And they were like a soda bottle and they're quite beautiful um, if you've got them in your collection. Um, You want, the the other color is, there was a color of glass which um, had a little bit of magnesium in it. So the glass would actually go a tint of purple. Yeah. And it was really beautiful, like a really beautiful looking um, bottle. And so if you had a really nice clear, so not too many chemicals had got um, into the glass, if you could have a clear one, which was purple and from a rare manufacturer, you knew you were onto a really good bottle then. Do you, like nowadays, can you see a fancy bottle when it's in front of you? Like, I'm not talking about if you go to a bottle museum. I'm talking about, like, at the supermarket. Can you go like, oh, they've got a good glass supplier? Um, Yeah, I guess you could. All the bottles today, anything um, uh, pre or post-1920, it's kind of a bit garbage. Yeah. The glass isn't as good. I think maybe when I went into mineral waters, you could tell by, like, the the shape i guess it's more it's probably more an art now like do you like the design of that glass rather than the rarity of the yeah the, the bottle as well yeah yeah have you done much bottle tourism ah so um, when you're around do you sort of have a look keep an eye out have yeah. you been to venice and looked at the glass there this sort of stuff i'm i'm no i'm kind of all passionate about just melbourne um, bottles <laughs> and and I and yeah because it just doesn't mean anything to me as much as it meant yeah, to yeah, that, yeah. that collection and so it's more about history than it is about like for example artisanship yes yeah and it was like collecting cards or something it would be like if you're a card collector of AFL cards you're probably not that interested in baseball if you don't yes follow baseball yeah or yeah. this year's cards you know it's like yeah, well, yeah I mean I'll, I'll sock them away because I might be cool in 10 years but the ones from you know the 92 old. or whatever yeah. yeah um you said that this lasted up until the roundabout when we met yep so what happened so i got i finished university i ruined bottles for you somehow you wrecked, wrecked it for me. <laughs> um so i finished university put them all in the recycling yeah, yeah. 
where's my collection, Dan? <laughs> uh, no, I finished university and I moved up to Sydney. Yeah. And I didn't find a club that I, I gelled with. I, I don't oh, so you tried. Look, I, no, I don't think I looked for a oh, club. Oh, okay. Um, I did look in Melbourne. Actually, when I first went to the first Williams, there was about four different clubs in Melbourne and I tried the other clubs out, but it was first love and I just couldn't find yep. those other, you, you know, when you click with your first people. But when I went to Sydney, I think I was feeling the same. I was like, that was my people and I don't think I want to start that again here. Also, maybe because you're a little bit older, so, yeah. when you discover something as a, you know, 12-year-old or however old you were, yeah. you sort of, um, it's it's mind-blowing because your world is so small. Yeah. You you know so little. You know your school, you know your home and maybe your grandparents' place and everything else is just, whoa. Yeah. Walking into a hall, seeing these people, like, even just, you know, you were disobeying your parents to go there. It would have had this yeah. magical Narnia-like feeling. Yeah. And then- it became your normal yeah. for, for a, and that was great. It was like, yeah. now this is my normal. And then when you're an adult and you try and do it again, it's like, yeah. oh no, this is just a hall full of oldies. Yeah. I think they were also like the friendship there. Cause to me, they were like, sub- I didn't have grandparents. So it was like, um, or grandfathers. So they were like substitute grandparents. Ah. And then the other people were like family. And it was people you'd see every month. And you'd catch up with them. And there was the jokers. There was the ones that more like your grandparents who would look after you. And so... Was there anyone else your age? Uh, no. Yeah. No. So, they really I, would have taken you under their wing. Actually, surely. sorry. There was. Um, there was my best mate was there with me. Oh, okay. And then our, our two other friends. So, there were four of us who knew each other before. Bottle boys. <laughs> yeah. And we would go together. And they were... The, two of them weren't even interested in bottles. They were just loved bottle the vibe. club. Yeah. yeah. Um... And so we were the, yeah, I guess we were the the young blood in there. But it was, yeah, the friendships that I had with those older people, like they would invite me like round to their house to show me their collections and stuff. But it was more like your grand taking you around to a yeah. house and stuff. It's so interesting as well to have friendships. I mean, it's not even the generation above, it's even further. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of people, like I speak from my own experience, I can't even tell you I could probably count on one hand the amount of good conversations I've had with someone over the age of 65 yeah and you that was your baseline yeah. growing up I mean do you, do you feel that now yeah no I, I think that definitely kind of shaped I don't know how much it shaped me but I, that's 100% true yeah like it was a cross generational thing um, and people from all walks of light too. Like there was ex-cons in there who were like wow, a bit dodgy. And then there was, you know, your lovely grandma and grandpa. There were people now probably a bit autistic, but like everyone was welcoming and everyone made that kind of community family vibes from different, from different walks of life. Was there a moment when you first turn up where I guess because you committed so much to go there, like yeah. you were like, I'm going to... Like, get way out of my comfort zone that by yeah. the time you walked in, it was like, well, what am I going to do? Yeah. And then also it was it was almost like, yeah, this Aladdin cave of wonders type thing. When you did get there, it was everything you'd hoped and dreamt for and more. Yeah. I just, I feel like I look at young Dan and I would have walked in and gone, ah! Yeah. No, I think 
they, they were so welcoming. I think they would have made anyone feel... Yeah, okay. Feel at ease. Um, and yeah, so... Fast forward to 09, 2010, whatever. Yeah. Um, I imagine by now you've got a, a massive collection of bottles. Yeah. What happens? So, I had to cull. Mum and dad made me cull. The, the other passion I had was horse racing as yeah. well. So... I remember you used to have a picture of your horse in our living room in yeah, Sydney. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but I had lots of horse racing memorabilia. I used to work at the museum, the horse racing museum okay. as like a guide there. So, I had to get my collection of horse racing memorabilia and bottles down and streamlined. And I was actually at mum and dad's house um, uh, just last week. I'm like, dad, where's, uh, where's my bottle collection? He's like, oh, it's in the other garage. Oh. I go to the other garage. Where is it in this garage? And it's now been stripped back to like six milk bottles. <laughs> and I'm like, mate, where did they all go? But um, Did he sell them? I don't know. I think they must have just been booted. It's all right because my collection wasn't that valuable. Um, <laughs> oh, look at your face so I'm though. Not, I'm not that Senti- sad. Sentimentally yeah. valuable though. Yeah. And now all my horse racing stuff as well, that's kind of gone. So, um, yeah, but it's good. I'm... A minimal, trying to live that minimal your, your, life. Your mum and dad got a Marie Kondo book for Christmas or something, and suddenly mm. we're like, "Oh, we've got to declutter." Yeah, yeah. yeah they look at each all. bottle. Thank you for your service, and then just smash it in the bin. <laughs> sad, sad day. I but, shouldn't have said that. Actually, that's yeah, triggering for you. Yeah, my um, my this, to this day, the sound of breaking glass haunts me in my nightmares. <laughs> my my best mate, um, he lives up at Bansdale, and he's a big collector too. And he's got three garages, like three garages full of just collectibles. Just he's hoarded as well. So um, I'm probably lucky that you I haven't escaped. gone there. Yeah, because yeah, that would have been me. Living your like traveling lifestyle yeah. has been like, you're, if you could, you would have a rucksack yeah. full, of, full bottles of bottles as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The new, the new one is, the only collectibles I've got now is magnets, um, which is much more manageable um, to get. Um, would you, we've sort of touched on a little bit, but what kind of a person do you think, or how do you think this sort of moment in your childhood Mm. made you who you are? I think being, um, open to kind of like a hobby and a passion, seeing people really passionate about a really obscure topic. I was like, because I probably wasn't that at the start. As you said, I was a bit more yeah. commercially driven as a 12-year-old. <laughs> um, but seeing the passion that these people had for such an obscure topic and letting their kind of like quirkiness fly. Like if anyone else, you know, you're in this kind of safe circle where you could do that. And I think I started to tell people about like my bottle collecting and realizing, oh, no, this is actually something good. Like it's cool. Yeah, no, it gives not- you permission. Yeah. And yeah. so... Then when I kind of wanted to do other things, other hobbies, you know, old into horse racing and onto all these other ones, I was like, yeah, fuck it. You got to like let that little kind of crazy passion come out in life. And so I really think that that helped. And it's, that's probably why I go deep on all these subjects, but now I'm starting to kind of like sew them all together. So being interested in history now coming back here, um, because I don't live here anymore, I've been, um, 
I've got really into the history and now I'm like, oh, that's why we were digging bottles in Port Melbourne versus, yeah. you know, Armadale because that suburb started there when I was like looking at the museum and understanding the history of the place. So You were you know, putting good. on Instagram about how um, your family history yep. has an exhibit at the museum. Yeah, yeah, which is crazy um did you know that no i didn't you walked into the museum and you turned a corner and it was like oh and hey by the way here's your family history yeah yeah that's even better than finding a bottle I, yeah <laughs> it was up there that's a sword in a lake that, yeah that was that was my my bottle bottle moment i guess finding that rare bottle my black horse so um so my great 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 grandfather was um, a convict who came over in 18, um, 1836. So, uh, Amos Cole came over to Australia um, on one of the first boats. He was a servant worker. He had a master in uh, Tasmania who was on like a sheep station, moved to Ballarat during the gold mining time. So, we've got all this amazing information yeah. on him. But he had an original son in that first relationship um, called Edward Cole. And uh, when you moved, when you were a convict and you got booted out, you pretty much said goodbye to your family yeah. and your friends. So, he didn't see his son anymore. His son ended up migrating to Australia, tried his hand at the gold rush, had no luck. Opened a bookstore and he had this kind of like quirky personality where um, <laughs> he created a bookstore which was kind of a mixture between like a zoo, a circus, and like a bookstore. He had all these quirky, he had animals in his store and he'd just make it into this circus called the Coles Book Arcade. And it was in the city and people would come from like miles away to see it. And you're allowed to read as many books as you want. You didn't have to buy anything. He had Mark Twain come in. Um, this guy's like Willy Wonka. It was. It looks like a Willy Wonka thing. And he he created his own books called Cole's Funny Picture Books. You might see them like when you see this book, you're probably like, oh, I've seen that cover before. And that was like a hit in the like 1900s um, turn of the century. Melbourne, Australia, everyone had this book. It was like funny. It was the original memes book. Like it was just little <laughs> funny little quotes and stuff. The brown cardigan uh, of the 1850s. It was, yeah, I think that was him. Um, and he lived this amazing life. He had this, he was really anti the white Australia policy, which is so, so great to mm, see. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> on the right side of history <laughs> yes. on that one. Um, and he was a really giving, giving person. He also had an ad out. Um, looking for a wife and he'd give a 20 pound reward found his wife from the paper married her a week later and they married happily ever after had like i think three kids and one of those kids is your my he was my uncle so oh my, yeah okay he, my mum my great great whatever grandma yeah, you go back from, up one level and then down again yeah. yeah he was from the tasmanian side um when amos cole the convict came to australia so amazing history um that's great and so his arcade was really big melbourne museum unbeknown to me have a section there in the history of melbourne and they've recreated his arcade in um the melbourne museum and i'm i was blown away i was actually there with dad and we were just like what the hell is this (laughs) we were stoked like and it's got such a big section on him and it really made me so proud and 
you know, working in kind of advertising, kind of content stuff. And I'm like, I kind of want to start a quirky bookstore. Like, maybe that's <laughs> what I've got to do. You could. Because yeah. oh, your dad was in the bottle club with you as well. So yeah. He's obviously got a bit of a history button in him as well. Yeah. So yeah. the two of you would have just... We're, oh, we're pretty, yeah. We're pretty, we're pretty slow through museums, me and him, because we're reading every single placard. <laughs> we actually did. We tried to do the Melbourne Museum, which is phenomenal. I reckon it's one of the best museums in the world. We tried to do it. It took us two days, and we only have seen like seventy-five percent of it. Fifty percent, fifty to seventy-five percent. God, and then you'll find the bottle wing. Oh, <laughs> I'll be there for days. There actually is a little bottle wing. Oh, um, the funny thing is, is. I remember, so they have a bottle wing where they had an excavation on Little Lonsdale Street Okay, back in the day, back in 2009, I think it was. So, they've made this whole documentary video on it and how they excavated it. I remember at the actual bottle club, them talking about the conservation and Victoria Museum and how pissed off they were all because that was such a good site that they wanted to dig. And a couple of the boys actually illegally digged it while the archaeologists are there with their like... At night, they went in and dug it. Gorilla bottling. Gorilla bottling while the others, they're just like, what are they doing taking all their time? And they're taking all just like the crumbs and stuff. And they were really, really annoyed about it. But it was it was almost a full circle because I'm like, I remember that. Oh, I remember wow. the diggers talking about that. At the so, you saying the stuff in the museum is the good stuff? Or it's, your mates took the good stuff. I think they have a little bit of the good stuff. There's some good bottles in there, but there's definitely, I think some of the boys have probably uh, <laughs> got the best yeah, ones yeah. on their mantelpiece. Yeah, they've probably got a couple of stallions in there. Oh. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jules, for coming in and talking bottles. No worries. I'm glad oh. glad I could get it off my chest. Yeah, it feels good, doesn't yeah, it? it feels really good. I it's almost good. feel embarrassed about offering you a beer now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll really... This, I mean, I'll drink it, but I yeah. won't enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, JC, for talking bottles with me. Remember, he's at Julian Cole on Twitter and Instagram. Let's tie up a few loose threads in the famous epilogue section. First of all, the girl who found that sword in a lake. It was in Sweden. She was eight years old. A 1,500-year-old sword from Viking days hidden in about half a metre of water. And the best bit is her name is Saga, which sounds like a fantasy movie waiting to happen. The other thing which we spoke briefly about was the Metro City Tunnel in Melbourne. The stuff they've found underground, they've dug up over half a million things, including a thousand teeth, because there used to be a dentist there, uh, 34 glass discs, which are part of opium lamps, children's toys, including a little drummer figurine from the Battle of Waterloo, and, JC, you'll like this, some ginger ale bottle labels. All of them are going to be on display at the Metro Tunnel HQ on Swanson Street if you want to have a squeeze. We'll see you next week. Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBooth is pretty much made entirely by me, Dan DeBooth, except for the music, which is by Caleb Garfinkel, and the artwork, which is by David Ferrier and Joe Kutri. Listener.